Welcome to Old Town New World. We are not at Millstone Pizza in Rock Hill, South Carolina. We are instead at the Warmouth in Columbia, South Carolina, and you will find out why. But I'm Jason Broadwater. I'm Chris Gervais. And we're here to talk about the ever-changing world of small town USA. So here we are in Columbia, South Carolina at the Warmouth. We're um, off of Main Street here n near uh, intersection of Elmwood. Great place. It's a brewery. No, it's not a brewery. It's a uh, tap house, I guess it is, out of an old kind of garage, it seems. We'll learn more about it. And, is, it um, is it maybe pronounced Wormuth? Wormuth? Wormouth? Wormouth, it's a fish. Oh, okay, nice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we have, of course, as always, Silent Micah. Silent Micah, sing a little song for us, please. Well sang, well sang. Chris, how are you today? I'm fine and dandy. That's great, man. You look nice. Thank you. I like your shirt. Thanks a lot. I like your shirt. Thanks. And our guest today is Joel Ryan Cook. Welcome, Joel. Thank you for having me. That was a big intro. That was like you really enunciated. Thank you. Well, it's a great name. It's like a rock star name. So, Joel is um, with the Columbia Museum of Art. She is the vice emperor. Or actually, what's the official title? Oh, it's so boring. Deputy Director and Director of External Affairs. Wow. Oh, we're deputy. Do you get like a badge? <laughs> I call myself Deputy Dog once in a while. Nice. When you make a big decision, do you do the like gun smoke, like, like thing? <laughs> no, but I could try and take that yeah. out. Do the next time. Can you send me a gift so yeah. I can do this? That'd next time awesome. anyone, say, you, do you say something and anyone that works for you says, why? You go, because I'm the deputy. You know, on your on your your days where you're tired, you want to, you know, because <laughs> I said so, people. Exactly. But no, that's not the way we roll in the museum. So the Columbia Museum of Art is an exceptional place. I had no idea. I was up in Rock Hill, being ignorant and not paying attention. While meanwhile, um, the city of Columbia has put together, I mean, a world class museum, and it's really phenomenal. Um, so before we get into the museum, though, and kind of what's uh, happening with the museum, the future of it, and all this kind of stuff. Let's learn a little bit about you, Joel, please. So, you are from where? I'm from here. I'm from a Col Columbia girl. Cola Town. Cola Town. Um, I am not from a southern family. My family's from the Midwest, from Ohio, and I moved down here when I was a little, little kid. Okay. And I think that has a little bit to do with the museum story because there's amazing museums in Ohio, and oh, really? I think that's yeah. one of the reasons why my parents were always taking us huh. to so you places. you grew up going to museum a lot. I grew up going to museums. I grew up here. Um, the Columbia Museum was not like it is now, but we traveled a lot and went to museums like crazy, but I grew up in Columbia. Oh, very cool. And so you uh, went to school to work in museums? I did, and that's kind of crazy because, you know, in the Northeast, if you go to get a master's in art history, you've got a lot more options in terms of what the job market is. And for me, I landed on like the one art history job in my hometown um, that probably happened in years. So I got very lucky in that sense. Well, I'm hoping that um, as America becomes great again, that art history doesn't mean that art is something in the past and we have to study it as history. But um, hopefully art history will continue to mean uh, kind of the ever-evolving uh, art as a cultural expression. So when you were uh, doing this when traveling around, did you, I mean, were your parents having conversations with you about art? I mean, how did you, I mean, was it 
entertainment? Was it education? Did you love it? Did you kind of like, oh, another museum? I think it was all of the above, of the to above. be honest. My dad was a physician, um, and my mom is very much a creative person. Um, and so every time we traveled, it was always, what historic site are you going to? What museums are you going to? So I think there was the education. I think there was the embracing of the culture. I think it was what they enjoyed. Yeah. Um, and they both came from Toledo, Ohio, which has a grandfather museum. I call this the grandfather museums with amazing collections and the big neoclassical right. buildings and um, long history of engagement with communities. And everybody always went there to mm-hmm. that museum so like my grandfather if he worked in the jeep if his friends worked in the jeep factory and he's a white collar he owns a pharmacy they all grew up going to that art museum oh, wow. and that's a very tradi- different tradition than we've had in the south the art museums are convincing people in the south that you should be you should be going to them and it's just because there were not so many art museums in the south yeah. compared to the midwest and the northeast you know that's, so. Sorry, interject. But I, I was, that was going through my head because I'm from I'm from Rock Hill. I was born in okay. Rock Hill, and my family is long from Rock from from the area. Like we're very southern people, and the idea of like an art gallery, it is a foreign thing, and it's something that wealthy intellectuals do. In terms, like from the, the world I came from, that's not how right, I feel right. at all. Mm-hmm. But that's the world I came from, and it's funny because it's like. And I don't go that often as an adult, even though it is something that I love and appreciate. And I walked away thinking about how tragic that is because I grew up in a world that said like art and fine art and abstract art and anything that wasn't, you know, art on television or whatever Mm -hmm. is made for someone else. And that's just not true. Art is made for people with, you know, that are alive. That is who it's for. And it's so sad that there's anyone that thinks it's not for them. And I think that's a tradition that was in the Northeast, that, or it has been always in the Northeast and in the Midwest, because those, for lack of a better term, those robber barons who collected art and built museums mm-hmm. wanted to share them with communities, yeah. right? Wow. In the South, if you think about um, Reconstruction period and how poor the South was compared to those areas after the Civil War, they weren't building museums in 1890. But you're building museums in 1890 in the Northeast and in the big Midwestern cities, especially those Midwestern cities that were major manufacturing areas. So you grew up, even my grandfather's generation, going to art museums. That was just part of your education. Didn't matter what your background was. Yeah, I love the experience of being in a city and you walk into a museum, whether it's natural history, art, whatever, and it's packed. And it's people of all kinds. It's people of all flavors, shapes, sizes, uh, socioeconomics. It's just packed full of people, you know? Uh, Versus it being, um, I'll take another, thank you. Versus it being like something that, you know, I think y'all are both talking about and that Chris is alluding to in his own personal experience where it seemed um, elitist some way. It seemed um, like like, uh, the, the working man... Um, didn't have the luxury of that somehow and which made it like uh, anti kind of the people who put America on their backs versus there being a common place where we can all kind of appreciate our culture, past history whatever it is together and kind of be on the same page you know I think that the arts do that. I think history does that. But I think as an industry, we've gotten in our own way in the past. I think we're working really hard to change it, though. And how we how have we gotten in our own way? Well, you put a building up on the hill, so to speak, and we have, you know, 
in the past and you walk in and there's an amazing painting with a little thing that we call a label next to it that just says who painted it, what date they did it, and wh where they came from and what, how long they were alive. And that is all you used to get. So if you don't know who that is, you yeah. don't have anything. You're assuming that the viewer is going to have already understood what this is supposed to be. And there's this feeling about, with visual arts especially, I don't think as much with science museums and some history museums. I think people approach those a little differently, but I think with the visual arts, we want to think we are supposed to have all the answers and we're supposed to be able to walk up to especially like an abstract piece as an adult and be able to say well this is blah 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 that's crazy for us to think that that's going to pull people in and so museums have changed a lot i started my career in museums in the 90s and in those decades it has changed to where it's like how do you make the viewer feel welcome and how do you give them some tools to feel comfortable with what they're looking at and especially to say you don't have to know all of this that's why you're here and you know what you're the way you're responding to it is perfectly valid that you know that's one thing that music um, like Chris you know you talked about how you were kind of taught through modeling and whatnot that maybe visual art was not for you or inaccessible but you found that in music because you could stand in a space and it could be blasted at you and you could experience you could feel it experience it interpret it more easily without it being intimidating i mean yeah it might be intimidating as a young kid to walk into a punk show but you're with your peers and there's a bunch of people in there Oh, well, no, it's not intimidating. You know, it's like when you're young and the first time you go to anything like that, you're like, I'm the coolest person in the world to be for being here. I wish everyone I ever met knew I was here right now. That's how it feels the first time you do that. It's a very visceral experience. Yeah. And if you fall into the right art for you, you can have that very visceral experience, you know? And I think we have to make it easy as museums to give you a space to fall into that experience, you know? Um, and not intimidate you all the way through <laughs> to well, do that's it. That's something that you have embarked upon very intentionally with mm -hmm. the Columbia Museum of Art. We have. I mean, we, I have spent my career thinking about how do you break down those barriers? Um, and part of it's an external communication that says, you know, we're here for you. Come and have fun at a museum. Don't yeah. think you're going to take a test and be uh, in yeah. trouble, right, you right, know? Right, right. Um, and then the other part is how do you program to make it, to, to tell that story, to make it accessible? And so what we've done is really worked on community partnerships that help us do that. And that's, you were talking about music. One of the biggest things we do is partner with people who care a lot about music, and whether it's musicians themselves, or it may be music professors at USC, or it may be music writers who talk mm -hmm. about music, because music is that place people are comfortable. Mm -hmm. with, and I mean, you can argue it like crazy too. They love, people love having arguments about music. And so <laughs> yeah, true. that discussion I think is fruitful and we want that in the visual arts as well. So oh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but Chris, will you stop hammering? Yeah, sorry, no, that's internal, I can't, okay. yeah. <laughs> Do you, have, do you need some water or something? <laughs> Good God. Like Tin man. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Joel. I didn't mean to interrupt. That's no, that's no, I did want to say that, that it's, it's a very unique challenge that you have as an art museum because you do want everyone to feel like it's for them. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, there's that it's a 
phrase that gets thrown out a lot in movies, <clears throat> when in criticism of movies, is it's from Happy Days, jumping the shark. Right, when right. Fonzie jumped the shark, Which it's like it was a great moment when he jumped the shark. But it's like you, how do you make it accessible to everyone, but not reach this point where it's like, oh wow, oh you're just putting ketchup and mustard all over this thing, and yeah. oh now it's Ronald McDonald. Exactly. You know, it's a really, it's not easy. It's very, very fine line. Well, we talked about that when we worked with you guys. Like we had, um, there was a really interesting for me a learning experience where there was a lot of folks who were working very hard to make things accessible and that was their number one word mm-hmm. and it, to the point of you know putting uh, toys that related to the art in the room potentially so that children could be with a parent and they could all have a family experience a lot of great ideas but if you go too far down that road uh, there was this one person at the museum that we interviewed who she is a single 30 year old female who loves art and likes to stand in an open, quiet space and have a transformational experience with a piece of art. And she was like, I really don't want, you know, like coloring books and blocks in front of my piece of art. You know what I mean? So how do you balance those things? It is. I think it's right. It's all about a balance. So you don't want to overwhelm the art because that's the core experience, okay? with the activities around the art. So there's some, there's ways to do that outside of having just games inside of the galleries. There's also ways to do it by knowing when to come to an art museum. And that all is incumbent mm-hmm. upon us, and you know this well, Jason, to communicate when those times are. And so those times that are a little rowdier or the excessive, the access point is easier is when you partner with somebody that has a different point of view that brings in a different audience that gives you an access point right so you do something with a band and a magician you know Uh in the galleries and you do something unique or you choose to go to that art history lecture that is never going to go away because there are people who want to know when did Salvador Dali start painting? What was his training? Right. You know, what was the arc of his career? And they're going to want to know all of those details and all those facts and all those things. And if that's not your jam, then that's fine. Right. But it's yeah. somebody else's jam. So exactly right. for us, it's incumbent upon us to think, okay, there's a lot of different kinds of learners. There's a lot of different kinds of interest out there. Yeah. And, you know, I've gone to arts events that are non-visual arts events because of somebody that that is being part, that's part of that. And it gives me this entry point into going, you know what, I don't always go to theater, let's say, and I'm going to this. And then I enjoy myself and I go to theater more. That's part of the reason why you do this as a community experience, because if it's very much we're here and we're giving you something that's good for you. Right people and you should all come it isn't gonna work that's not gonna work you got to do it in a way that says you know give us a try we you might like what flavor we can throw out at you at this point and then if you're somebody who really wants that quiet contemplative moments there are moments in museums you can do that there are definitely moments in our museum that you can do that for sure yeah absolutely that's what you're talking about that thing of like do you at what point are you is it too is it too "Quote unquote," dumbed down for people, or some, the experience, or something, or, or, or if it's affected by how much you're trying to make it accessible, because it, I agree with you. I think it's a, the different ways that the individual can experience art, and it's just even. I could experience the art in one way if it was crowded and loud, mm-hmm. and in a completely different way if I'm by myself. Exactly. I mean, I'll say like today, I was conscious of the fact that 
We, I'm sorry, because we just went. What was his name? The the second, not Jeter, Jeter, Tyrone, Tyrone Jeter. Jeter. I mean, amazing, by the way. Oh it was God. so emotional. I was so, I had to make myself stop looking at a few pieces so that I didn't like get teary eyed and stuff. I mean, it was very emotional. And I was very conscious of the space that I was in, the quietness of it, the size of the space that I was in, and its relationship with the size of the art. And that honestly, it was all very much part of what I was experiencing. And it wouldn't have been possible if it was full of people and kids playing with, with toys. And you know, Chris had the quote of the day, and you gotta figure out how to work this into your marketing somehow. Okay. When he, he actually said it to you in your office, he said, um, I was in a quiet space looking at a still piece of art and when I walked out I felt like I was at, had been at a punk rock show screaming at me. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. And that's really and that's did. that visceral experience that we were just talking about. And if you notice there's no toys in that gallery. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, no, yeah. We, we understand what the intent of that space is. We understand we understand when to look at where can you more energetically and work yeah, with somebody and have activities and where is it not called for? Actually, I've got to give you solid props on what we experienced today now that I think about it because we went in and saw Salvador Dali, which first of all, Salvador Dali in Columbia, South Carolina, are you freaking kidding me? I mean, oh my God. So it, it, people have no idea. Some people have no idea. So anyway, walked around that and had a, an amazing experience. And then we walked through this middle room where there was an anime. An, an unfinished animated piece by Dali that was Disney, done right. through Disney, that's playing on a screen that you could sit and watch. So, I mean, we were enthralled by it, but so my kids would my kids be. They'd right. watch the whole thing. It was incredible. And then we walk into a room where there's illustrations and uh, and there's a there's two tables, right? So these are these are in books, books that are in closed glass things that you can't touch because they're like you know priceless books. But then there's two tables that have a bunch of books on them that are like the, the Dali stuff was um, the Alice in Wonderland story. And there's tables full of books that are the Alice in Wonderland story. Um, and you can you can open them and read them and flip through them and like any kid could sit. So, so you're balancing like this quiet space where I experienced Dali, then a Disney movie where I could watch Dali, and then a table where I can look through books myself, and then a quiet room where I could experience Jeter. It was all in the same, what, 40 minutes? Right. Well, and what we did there, if you think about what you just talked about with Dolly, we partnered with University of South Carolina's Rare Book Room here at Tom's Cooper Library and have, in those cases, works from the 18th and 19th century wow. that are versions of what Dolly did in his fables and fairy tales. Yeah. Then there's books that are not behind the glass cases but that are there for people to use but to see the variety of the ways that artists can approach a subject exactly. and the way their own imagination happens that's what museums should be about now is providing those places where conversation can happen mm, yeah. and the other thing is is we're not shushers i'm not going to shush yeah. you in that room if you guys are having a great conversation about those books and pointing to dolly and pointing to something else that's the goal Right. So just like a great library is now, you're not shushing anybody. You want the conversation. You want that exploration of curiosity to happen. You move into a place like Jeter, it just feels like that the art itself, which is calling for you to think about those universal connections in human experience, mm -hmm. no matter what your background is, but then to also focus on perhaps a particular background that is not maybe your experience or it is your experience and you want to reflect on that. And 
what Tyrone Jeter talks about is that he is not going to be in your face about his work. Mm-hmm. He is not. He is intentionally not doing that because he wants people to stop and do exactly what you did, right? Mm-hmm. And then walk out and be that message um, of social justice, that message of human experience, that message of frustration or what might be unfair is what came out to you mm-hmm. in that punk rock yeah. comment. Yeah. Because and he won. In that sense, Jeter did exactly did exactly what he set out to do was to subtly pull you in through his skill of with the human form and the yeah. human face and the human spirit coming through that and to rock your world. Yeah, and he did it. Yeah. And so in that space, having a whole bunch of books of different kinds of drawings of human beings would not have it would have taken away mm-hmm. from the Jeter experience, you know, um, So, you know. That's exactly what I said about it when we walked away. It was loud and aggressive, but at every point felt like you and me, I'm with you. Mm -hmm. It was loud and explosive, but yeah, intimate. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, us, you and me, us. This is us, this is you and me. Exactly. Which is what punk rock's all about. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, so those different audience experiences are important. And I want to go back to your comment on that fear of are you dumbing down? And I think by not lecturing at somebody, doesn't mean you're dumbing it down right right? so if we have a food critic come in to talk to do what we call a unique perspective tour which means you don't have Joelle an art historian you don't have a curator you don't have an educator talking but a unique perspective tour in our galleries and they're going around and talking about food represented in in the space Mm -hmm. they're not dumbing anything down they're just talking about it from a different point of view and that's the work that you do. Well, how can you have a different touch point or entry point to an audience that maybe isn't 100% on board with an art museum, but said, hey, I love that food writer. That food writer is awesome. She's smart, and she's going to tell me something cool about the museum I hadn't thought about. And then the hope is you come back and try something else at the museum, right? Mm -hmm. So I think the dumbing it down by making something maybe not having to overwhelm you doesn't mean you're dumbing it down. So, and I think that's what, where people land is that worry that you're dumbing it down. Um, you know, curators and PhDs in art history have been long trained to be an expert in an area and to talk to you about that. But what we can do is give you that moment still. You can buy a catalog to have those essays written in it. You can go to a lecture that has that, but then you can also realize, I can go to a museum, we can do this for half an hour, and then we can go have lunch and chat about it. And my, and my kids can go to summer camp there exactly. and have an amazing experience. Um, and it, there's all kinds of levels and layers that the museum brings. I think one of the things that we talked about today that's most important, and that's that, that art education piece, and that's really close to my heart, because I think that's where you get, um, we, we we are not developing little artists, you know, when we do uh, art yeah. education. We are developing thinking, critical thinking mm. children who right. can enter into the world, whether they become an engineer or a painter, right. um, and think about what's going on around them. You, through the arts and through the visual arts, you can learn what is going on in somebody's face. What is going on in the scene? Yeah. What are the questions I need to ask to understand what's happening around me right and so in summer camps I think one of the things that we bring to the table and we've got colleagues who teach summer camps of the arts visual arts too what we bring to the table and they're good but what we bring to the table is that experience with original art that you miss the details that if you're not there in the original art you're not going to see them and we talked about how you all worked with us on the Dali images when you're working even on a high-res image 
it's not the experience that you have when you see a piece, when you see those actual prints. And in that experience, you have to look a little deeper, look mm -hmm. a little harder, and you get a fuller story, whether it's through the technique being used or actually what's being depicted. And so that's where I think art and education really comes into play, that a museum is providing you an original approach and an original thought that we don't see just on our computer screens or in a teaching classroom. Yeah. You know, um, just as an aside, I want to share with you, I was, a few months ago I was in Key West, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of um, really impressive art um, galleries in Key West. And um, I went into this one, and there was, it had some amazing art in it. And there was one tiny little Dali. And so I started talking to the lady, and I'm like, yeah, you know, we had the wonderful experience of being able to work with some of Dali's images with a museum in South Carolina. And she goes, oh, you got to come back here. So she takes me back into this back area where they were apparently, they're going to temporarily replace their entire gallery with all Dali stuff. And they're having oh, wow. it shipped in from all over the place. And they had it all in the back and covered with, uh, like, brown, like, paper. And she was pulling them all out. They were huge framed Dali. I'm like, what? I mean, is this real? I mean, how is this? And they're going to sell them out of that gallery for like two weeks it's going to be nothing but dolly stuff in this space but anyway i want to share that with you <laughs> well that's cool that you got to have that experience yeah. and that's again another visceral experience yeah. and it's going to be a rare place where you get to land on oh man i just walked into all of these dollies i've just walked into all these jackson pollocks yeah, whatever right, exactly. it's going to be yeah, right yeah. and um but that's that experience with that original work yeah. that's exciting and I think some some techniques where you can see the presence of the artist there, yeah. mm -hmm. that's when I think it's really, um, really takes you to a different place where you feel like you're having, and that's Tyrone's work for sure, oh. where you feel like you are having a conversation with him because oh, yeah. you can feel his presence there. You can feel his stroke with the piece mm. of charcoal to create that, the eyes that are penetrating, you know? So charcoal, I have no idea. But let me switch gears a little bit and ask mm -hmm. you this. Talk to me about um, an art museum and or the arts in, at large and its relationship to uh, economic development. Well, you know, one of the things that I think we battle in the arts in general, and I very much am concerned about how all of the arts play together, you know, and I think that's what makes communities strong and I think arts communities should be strong. You realize that a lot of people think they're extra. The arts are the, if you gotta cut something, mm. it's extra. But then what Does the industry. <laughs> I don't think that actually happens. It might not even be proposed to be happening anytime soon. Um, exactly. So, what I think museums and theaters and arts communities finally learned is that you have to say this is a big economic sector of a vibrant city, a city that you want to come to, right? So a city that you want to come to offers these kinds of things. Because when we go on vacation, we love to look for hiking places, and we love to look for outdoor activities, and we love to look for cultural arts. And the cultural arts sector is big. So what we did is we realized in 2005 we did our first economic impact study, and we've done subsequent ones. And the last one that we did shows that the museum has a $23 million impact on Columbia wow. and Richland County. And that's a story we want to tell our city and county funders because yeah. every dollar they invest in us, they get $16 back. Wow. And that's in, you know, tax, it's in um, 
staying in hotels and it's people coming through and eating in restaurants and wanting to come to a place like Columbia. And I think a lot of people are in that place that the arts have helped make Columbia the kind of place we all want to live in and that we want to attract the talent and that wants to bring, and tourists can come here. I mean, you all are from Rock Hill, you know this. Everyone goes, well, go to Greenville, but they Mm -hmm. definitely say go to Charlotte, I mean, Charleston, right? Mm -hmm. Go to Charleston. Well, that, we're starting to see Charleston coming to Columbia and that's because of the cultural arts in a lot of ways and it's impacted the food culture here we're sitting in a restaurant that's in an area that's being revitalized in, uh, in Colombia as the we hammer. speak oh, yeah. we, we heard the, we heard the hammer that was revitalist's hammer exactly and what you have on Main Street just down the road is you have the art museum you have a really amazing um, indie art theater that mm-hmm. has the Nickelodeon. A, the Nickelodeon that has a great arts festival called Indie Grits, which is These happening in a couple of weeks. In the Indie Grits, Yay! yeah, we can't wait. We're so we Are literally going to come and visit me when you come hang absolutely out. Absolutely, should. Okay. We literally today we're like we're on G Chat, like I can't wait for Indie Grits. Good. Like absolutely. literally, that happened today. Indie Grits <laughs> is starting with a with a, a opening party on the block on the street. Nice on Thursday, April 20th, y'all. And we are right now installing um, an artist from Columbia, South America, in our galleries right now to go along with the Indie Grits theme. So congratulations, I'm glad y'all are doing it and y'all come in. But that art theater is a block from us. There's another kind of DIY, kind of really great upstart arts place called Taps Art Center. And this this is one more block down. And we're just a couple of blocks away from Warmouth, right? People are building businesses on Main Street because though that, that activity is starting to happen. When we moved to the museum in 1998 at the request of the city and the county to revitalize Main Street, everything was being shuttered unless you were a lawyer or a banker. Those buildings were happening and it was a nine to five kind of environment and everything has changed now. And the museum was the anchor of that, but all of these additional arts groups that are amazing partners for this community have made it so that a warm mouth opens, so that there's a Saturday market called Soda City every Saturday. Um, One of the coffee roasters at Soda City is opening up their bricks and mortar now. They've been doing Soda City for years and they're a coffee roaster and now they're gonna be opening right around the corner here their first bricks and mortar place, you know? I'll tell you what, when Dixie and I go to Charleston a lot, my wife, Dixie, and and we, I mean, my whole life I've gone to Charleston a lot. Um, And uh, when we go to Charleston or come back from Charleston, we used to pass by Columbia. Then when the uh, Vista developed, Mm -hmm. we started stopping in Columbia and we started having uh, a drink and dinner, uh, like an early dinner on our way down to Charleston. Uh, And then maybe on the way back, we might do the same thing, but we never went downtown. When we discovered and it was way late. But when we discovered the museum, we were here whenever it was, a month or two ago. So we drove specifically down to Columbia instead of going to Charlotte. We had the day, which is mm-hmm. rare. You know you know how it is. I got yep. two kids. I mean, so it's not rare we have a day right. <laughs> to do anything. And, and when we do, we want to just be at the house, you exactly. know. But we decided to go somewhere. We drove to Columbia, went to the museum, went to uh, Bourbon. Bourbon. Is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Eight. Um, she was driving back, so I indulged. Had <laughs> at some, bourbon. At bourbon. Had some uh, Brown bourbon. Liquor. Yeah. <laughs> Surprisingly. That's and like uh, one of chilies and having the chili. And having the chili, <laughs> which, is, which is weird. Um, and then uh, she went to a couple stores, bought something. I sat on the bench and enjoyed my post-bourbon. Mm-hmm. I mean, we probably spent $200 here. Exactly. We would have never come exactly. if it wasn't for, I was like, oh, you got to check out this museum, man. 
You know what I mean? That's why we came down. And we didn't even know what was going to be in it. We just, I mean, it was just, it was an engaging, interesting thing to do. You know, and I think that's the story of Columbia. Now, and that you and I have talked about this, Jason. I think as Columbia better owns the story of Columbia, we need that narrative as a community to be loud. That, you know, that we're not the best kept secret. And I think it's getting better and better. Yeah. But there's still work to do. And it's hard. It's a noisy world out there. So no. it's hard to, and it's hard to turn people's um, perceptions around. And I think part of Col- what Columbia can be guilty of is that the home team can be the team that can be um, too parochial and too, um, oh, yeah, well, you know, we're just Columbia. And I think I'm finally seeing that change, you know. um, We see that in Rock Hill. I tell people my age and older all the time in Rock Hill, stop saying Rock Hill's lame because Mm -hmm. young people don't think it's lame. You think it's lame. Like, you're stop saying it, you know. Exactly. And I think we were guilty of that. I think it's finally starting to change. I think we're getting some of the right press. I mean, there was just a Huffington Post article that said, you know, do, need to do some a domestic vacation on a budget, and Columbia was featured. Oh, wow. Cool. The museum was in it. Warmouth was in it. Bourbon was in it. Oh, you know, cool. I mean, cool. it was, and it's, you know, that was not happening a couple of years ago, and that's starting to happen now. So I think we, more confidently, are building these kind of small businesses that are local and care about community, and it's changing that idea. And um, I think the arts are a big part of it. Um, I think the museum is a big part of it, but I think all of our partners in the other arts organizations and education organizations that we work with, I give, I think it's a collective mindset that says we're going to do good things yeah. you know so like you know when you're we're all as excited about indie grits as the nickelodeon crew is we love that um event and i think we're better if we're stronger together you know stronger together yeah. if we're all advocating for what the arts can do so chris your perspective on indie grits what as a rock hill person who has been making movies your whole life just because you like couldn't help yourself yeah <laughs> <laughs> what what i mean it's like an hour away to columbia it's not it's not la like what's your perspective yeah. on indie grits i mean indie grits is the coolest festival i've ever been to though personally wow. i'm sure they're cooler ones well, you've been to ones all over though yeah i'm sure there are cooler ones but it's the coolest one i've ever been to it has a it has an incredible like any good event it's very it's very well crafted and everything is thought about and figured out and just it, it has a voice mm-hmm. and and it's it's very few festivals that reach that level where you could say it has a voice and it does uh, that's one of the things i love about them is they know who they are and they really care about people so they have heart in their mm-hmm. festival yeah. you know and the the stories are about the heart and so that heart might be exploring last year like the flood and the river and that kind of thing or this year it's exploring Latino culture Um, and so they can pivot to a very different topic every year but they can really find the heart every single time in that topic and they've been more and more successful with it so they can bring something really high quality to Columbia too along with not forgetting what the up-and-coming makers can be doing and I think that's what I that's another part of the heart of that festival so last year they had as a big opening concert a really intensely um, well-known within kind of the contemporary classical world a group called Lady Blackbird which is I mean big audiovisual real big performance 
by the river in a very cool setting, um, but they brought some of the best in classical music performance that's contemporary, that's really edgy and different to this community, but while they still very much celebrated what these community members are doing in music and in visual arts and in film. And so I think that's what keeps that heart. And I think it's important for us to be able to have opportunities to learn from outside of the community too. Support your local artists, but also inspire your local community by some of the best that can happen around the country. And that's what I think Indie Grits has gotten to where they really do that well. And that goes back to accessibility too. It does. You know, because you're creating access to world-class cutting edge entertainment in like a oh yeah i'm gonna go downtown right here five miles away and experience something phenomenal like it's nothing yeah Yeah. we're free but i think you know we've we've been talking about access and access there's a price point access for sure but there's also that perception access that this is for me yeah and that's what we've been talking about with the museum like kind of change those perceptions that it's not a place for me for certain people it doesn't matter what the price is it could be zero or it could be a hundred dollars you want to break through that barrier of perception that you're not welcome there that you're it's not the right place for you and i think that indie grits has been able to do a really good job of taking something like that intensely I mean, classical music is considered very high-minded, right? Right. And that people don't relate to it, but because they put it in an environment that was so unexpected, you have people that came to that because they could just try it out. And when it's free, you're not losing much other than your time, right? Right, right. So, you know, and I think those are the kinds of things, the exact kinds of things that run through our minds as a museum that wants to bring somebody like Dolly, that also wants to host somebody like Jeter, who's Mm -hmm. part of the talent pool here in Columbia, you know. You know, um, on the economic development tip, when I talk to and work with uh, universities, the little I've worked with them, but a lot I've talked to them, um, one of the things that in, in the current climate or the past... 10 years, whatever, there's such an emphasis on jobs uh, from an economic development standpoint that um, I often hear, and it's probably because of the of the setting where I'm hearing the university present or working with the university, is usually in an economic development crowd, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of representing the business sector or whatever the case, I hear this like very kind of strong argument, obviously premeditated strong argument that's being put forward about how the liberal arts are um, teach the soft skills that are necessary for the success in the economy and a lot of it makes a ton of sense it's a great argument but I'll always ask the same question in those environments I'm always like you've done a hell of a job in convincing me and everybody here that a university is playing a role in a jobs focused conservatively fiscal um, economic development environment but let let us not forget (laughs) that a university is the cradle of our culture. Absolutely. So when you, are, do you ever feel like um, that to, to justify the money from the state or whatever, that you have to so make the economic development argument, which is there, I mean, t- you're talking about over $20 million in economic impact. I mean, there's no way you can't make that argument. You right. Know? But do you ever feel like that, that you just want to sometimes scream it's important because it's important. Good God, it's important. <laughs> I, I get where you're coming from, but I'll be honest. We use that economic development argument in the right place, but we talk more about what we do in education and okay. in mm-hmm. opening up people to each other. Gotcha. That's our bigger message. 
That's the Nickelodeon's bigger message. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I think it's resonating right now. I don't think we would be supported by the state of South Carolina or the city of Columbia if they did not feel that we also had another role. Yeah. Um, I think what you're pointing at is can arts groups and educational groups go too far? You know, at one point they didn't talk about themselves as businesses, right? Mm. And you just said, oh, you know, it's good. It feels good. It's good for us, right? And then you didn't do the economic discussion. Then you had to go to the economic discussion. But did, can we go too far in landing in only the economic discussion? And I think it's about a balance of talking about it holistically. Because um, right now you look, you've got the NEA and the NEH and the Institute of Museum and wait, Library wait, Services. You do? You do? Really? Still for <laughs> 10 minutes. and um, But what they're doing is they're pulling all of those punches. Yeah. They're saying, Here, here's your teaching on your economic impact, yeah. which is big. It's, mm-hmm. oh, it's huge, huge, it's huge nationally, and it's huge. really big locally. Yeah. But they're also doing incredible videos that tell the story about the human heart and what we respond to, whether that's negative, positive, that connects us together, that... You know, so there, I think there's a good balance out there because yeah. you can't land in one. It's got to be about the whole I mean, picture. I once said in a private conversation to a university president, and I'm sure he knew this before I did uh, or, and may have disregarded what I said, but it doesn't matter. But I said, you know, I think it's great that you're making the argument about the role of liberal arts in the economy and the jobs creation sector or <laughs> are, are, are initiative in the economy but you're going to come in second place behind the technical schools on that argument every time nobody can come in first place above you as being the cradle for the liberal arts and the humanities and the reason why you know it's like that great quote that unfortunately apple kind of bastardized by putting in a television commercial and it kind of broke my heart a little bit but even though i carry an iphone and i like apple as a company but the quote from uh, uh, Dead Poet Society, when he says, you know, business, engineering, these things are noble pursuits and they keep the world, the clock of the world moving. But poetry, love, these are why we live. They're why we exist. Exactly. You know, and, and so to undermine them because of a fiscal argument is like the, um, it's like the, the bad guy in a in a TV sitcom, you know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like we have to appreciate, we have to acknowledge that it's not childish to um, to embrace the, the the beauty side of of life. You know. Sorry, I have to interrupt because yep. I actually been sitting on this one for a while. Now. The, when you, you were talking about teaching kids critical thinking, I think there's another side to the practical piece of art and art education <clears throat> besides money. It's the value of critical thinking. Absolutely. It teaches you how to think Absolutely. and in a way that nothing else can. In a way that if you ask so, because art subverts reality and it pulls you out of reality. It makes you look at reality in a different way. And, and in the same way that you might spend your whole life thinking water is blue, if you never actually make a painting and look at water and say, no, water is green sometimes it's brown it's just reflecting the sky that's why you think right. it's blue and that's a trivial silly thing but so many when when culture gets in a mess and sometimes culture does that i don't know if we're, i think we're probably in a cultural mess right now um and when it does that more often than not it's due to the lack of critical thinking and the lack of people 
able to step away and actually look at what's around them as opposed to letting a bubble or a predetermined idea from someone else uh, tell them what reality is. And unfortunately, there are people who can come in and take advantage of that, and I think that that's when you get in a large cultural mess. But critical thinking is so important, and my public school experience showed me little to none of that. And that's, that's a tragedy, mm -hmm. because I think that before you can worry about any of the things that you worry about in a general education, you need to teach people how to think. My daughter, who's graduating from high school right now, but her... Right now? You should be there. Oh I my God, you're podcasting? <laughs> yeah, but I'm hanging out with y'all. Oh, wow. I'm, um, I'm... Exactly. So this year, but the teacher she will probably always remember, who was one of the best teachers I can imagine any student would have, was she had him in seventh and eighth grade. And when I went to that parent orientation, he held up... Here is the book that we are required to teach by the state of South Carolina. And he said, we are going to teach this, but we're also going to teach all these other books. Multiple points of view, yeah. opposing mm -hmm. this book, written by different authors. And he, he said, and one of our best friends is a history professor, and he usually is uh, sitting very uncomfortably at all these orientations, right. right? And he sat there and he said, my goal is your kids will learn what they need to learn for the state of South Carolina, but my goal is to teach your kids how to think and to question. Yeah. Mm. And Kent was like, whoa, yes. Yeah. He was like, I love this guy. This is what we're doing. And she, from that moment on, embraced every moment of learning because he's saying to them, I want you to debate. Yeah. And you're not right, and you're not right, and you're not right, but the discussion's what needs to happen. Mm -hmm. it's like and it, tell it, me why you think you think differently. It validates that the world only exists through your eyes. Yeah, yeah, through your perspective. And when you're, when you're standing there and somebody's telling you that the world only exists from their perspective and that you're just a... Uh, 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 voyeur, right? You're like that's BS. I don't exactly. want to be here. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, as Gen Xers, we questioned that all the way through, mm -hmm. right? But you're right. The arts give you that opportunity. And what we very much focus on is, again, we're not training little artists. You're you're hoping that children and people, lifelong, right? We're doing programs for lifelong learners can think about what is being conveyed to them in a visual message or if it's another program that we're doing that's another arts form and so visual literacy is the core of what we are talking about when we are doing education with our school groups we're doing education in summer camp yeah. it's not can your son draw the best comic book character it's can your son understand why he's making the choices that he's making. Yeah. Or when he's looking at examples of comics, can he look at that and understand why that artist made the choices that they're mm -hmm. making? And is he truly conveying what you think that he is? Yeah. So look deeply at somebody's eyes. Look deeply at what's happening around them in the scene. Mm -hmm. Look deeply at the color of an abstract painting and what is that conveying to you? So that is that place, that's that sweet spot that allows you to explore your curiosity or maybe change your mind about something. Well, one of the most impactful moments of my life, um, and you know, it's being a list of a lot, but um, was, I, I keep remembering it and, and, and drawing conclusions, I mean, connections to it all the time. I was in art class, Miss Boyer's class, in a trailer. 
You know how they put trailers yeah, outside yes. of schools? Yeah, you know? South Carolina schools. I know, really, yeah. Man. <laughs> so I'm in a trailer. We all have them. Yeah, right. And <laughs> up a mountain that I had to march five miles in the snow <laughs> uphill both ways. That was barefooted. In the snow of South Carolina. Yeah. Um, after stoking the coal fire, I, um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, so I was sitting at, it was an art, it was art class, Miss Boyer's art class. And um, she put a line drawing. Later, only later did I realize it was uh, Vincent Van Gogh's face, but I had no idea. It was a line drawing of a man's face. Uh, you know, his head, a bust, whatever. And um, so there weren't any shadings or anything. It was just lines. And she was like, you're going to draw this. She said it's a whole class. And everybody's like, oh, my God, I can't draw it. And so everybody tries to draw it. And um, every one of them looks ridiculous. You know, I mean, they're all terrible. And they're just faces, like smiley faces. And... Well, then she says, okay, now turn it upside down. And everybody turns the picture upside down. Mm -hmm. And she's like, all right, now you're going to draw it, and you're going to make it look exactly like the picture. And everybody's like, oh, you, you know, you can't do that. And so she says, okay, don't, you're not drawing a, a man. She said, okay, see this, mm -hmm. like, th like one, you know, three centimeter line from here to here? Draw that line at the same up angle. And then see how it turns and it goes up a little more? Draw that line. And so you did that, and you just imitated every little tiny line and turn and whatever. And then when you turned your paper around, it looked just like the freaking yeah. draw. It was, everybody was blown away. But as my life has gone on, and as I've gotten to be a, an elderly man, I've um, <laughs> I keep making connections back to that moment. And I think about like you know I've built a business, and um, from from nothing, and um, and I. When I tried, like, when I first started trying to build a business, I was like, oh, I'm going to build an extremely successful business. That's a daunting and impossible task. Right. So you have to turn it upside down and mm -hmm. say, okay, I'm just going to achieve this small Line. thing. Yeah, and I'm just going <laughs> to achieve this thing, and I'm going to achieve this thing. And boom, you start knocking them out. And all of a sudden, you flip it around, and you're like, holy cow, I'm running a business. I got employees. I mean, you know, it's... it's it, it changed the way, I don't know if I had it in me before or that was, I don't know, but it, I referenced that point in my life, in my mind, all the time. I think everyone has it in them. Mm -hmm. what, you, what that did is it changed your perspective. So yeah. you got out of your own way. When you were looking at Van Gogh's face, you were like, that's a beard and that's an ear and I can't draw an ear. Right, yeah. You turned it upside down, she taught you how to think, no, that's a shape. Yeah. And these shapes connect and these shapes can then convey a story. That's what the arts do. Right. And, you know, that's, it's about perspective. And then I think where we, in the arts and in the visual arts and in the museum world, have gotten better is when we have brought in as many perspectives as you can right. to help shape even what we have on view in our collection and our, our exhibitions. The chef, the, the theater person, the drag queen, the whatever, that's going to help shift your perspective a little bit, and Absolutely. I and I think for you all, you ex you enjoy the Jeter show. It shifts and it helps you find a connecting point and then shift your perspective a little yeah. bit. And that's what the arts do the best, and that's what arts education mm -hmm. should be yeah. about. And that's the core of what we do because you want people to think, 
and I think it's really important now, especially in a visual culture. You guys work in a visual industry. You know, you guys are working on design and conveying messages, and you're doing it more visual than you ever have before. You know, all of us who've worked in this, we weren't doing video five years ago the way we're doing video now. Mm-hmm. So you're telling those stories through people's eyeball, eyeballs, and you've got to be able to have our children understand what's coming at them. Yeah, yeah absolutely. No, I, and it's funny that you, you, talking about it in those terms like the idea of breaking things down to basic visuals is to keep harping on the value of like being able to interpret mm-hmm. art and stuff the ability to re- you some water man are you having that stomach problem again <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no my my clankers are clanking um the skill to break things down in a visual way to, to be able to read something right. that's not in words and not in a language the way that you could read music you know or right. not like sight read music I mean like hear a Beatles song and read the intent um, which I think is once again we get to and I don't know what it is about you know music or movies or books or whatever that are different from art and maybe it is the fact that it's just one thing that you're looking at that because people will hear a whatever song and get something out of it because and maybe because there are words telling them what's going on, but um, the ability to look at art and 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 read it, quote unquote, is such a valuable skill. And like I said, it, it you, inevitably it spills over into the rest of your life, into how you look at the world, and you are able to analyze the things that are in front of you. And that's so valuable to I don't care who you are. It's as valuable as an economic uh, impact. You know, the ability to view the world around you and analyze it and figure things out. You know, I think. What we unfortunately we were talking about getting in the way of ourselves. Think about what how you what what your first reading experiences are as a human being. What are your first reading experiences? Um, golden books, highlights. Even before golden books and highlights, what is your it? Your name. Uh, bad guess. They're picture books. Oh, picture oh, books. Yeah. Oh, duh. Sorry. So <laughs> think about it. You you sit with your Playboy. with your two yeah. year old. All right. I grew up in that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my uncle, my uncle was crazy. <laughs> there, there you go. Okay, we know more about Jason now. So the um, the picture book, the illustrated picture book, is mm-hmm. where we start with our children. So when we go to the libraries and we pick up a pack of, of you know, a foot high of books, Absolutely. they are picture books, and they have Two sometimes they have words and a bunch of pictures. Sometimes no words. Yeah. Sometimes a sentence. Yeah. Those children are picking up everything they need to know about that story in those pictures because they are looking at them. They are attracted to them. Somewhere along the line, they can lose that trust in that because we spend so much time on the letters and these letters coming together to form words, to form sentences. So I think we can get in the way of ourselves of not trusting what the image is telling us. So I think if you think about it, it's really one of the most basic things we learn first yeah you know my um, my wife is a an elementary school counselor mm-hmm. and she says man you you start reading to a child and it doesn't matter the child doesn't matter the child's diagnosis doesn't matter the child's background uh, socioeconomics ethnicity it doesn't matter that child lights up yep. and just soaks it in and her her voice and the fact that it's there's some like some type of repetitiveness to it, that, the, that there's a building story, even if they don't understand the greater arc or missing a lot of things along the way, just that, that experience of like um, engaging with 
with some type of story element. And, you know, and of course, they're showing the pictures at that mm -hmm. age. I mean, they're not just reading from a you know, right, right. textbook. Exactly. So they're reading a sentence, showing it. And she said, kids could be running around kicking the walls, and you start reading, they sit down there like, oh my God, like, this yeah. is amazing. It's a visceral connection Absolutely. again, though. It's a, it's a connection between human beings yeah. on something that is beyond just them, whether it's fantasy or the story of somebody else. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah I, I don't remember any of the stories my mom read to me when I was a kid, but I remember the sound of her voice and the way it felt. Exactly. And, and the, that something I, that was, and like I said, it's about that subversiveness of art mm -hmm. and the fact that you cannot help but experience reality all the time. That's what you're built to do. Right. And, as, and as soon as something steps outside of that, it is so compelling. And that's why a, a toddler is compelled by a story because they have no choice but to experience reality all the time and try to manage it. Because that's the thing. Any, if I'm throwing out any sort of judgmental statements about our cultural mess, I, I get it. Reality is tough, man. Life is not easy. I don't care who you are. Life is tough for everybody if you're in their skin. There's no one for whom life is easy if you could be in their shoes, and that's that. And so I don't blame anyone for going astray on the way that they interpret reality because we all want someone to tell us everything's okay. Mm -hmm. But the fact that, that, like I said, that art gives you that access. Sorry, I keep going back to this. I just think that's the most important piece that art takes place in our life is that the perspective, like you guys said, and the ability to interpret reality outside of You can what go back to it as much as you want. I'm just going to take this clip off of y'all's podcast okay, okay, and put it yeah. on our website. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> because, I mean, that's why we're there. We're there to help make that happen, yeah. you know? And not all of us can afford to have million-dollar paintings in our living rooms, mm -hmm. and you want the community experience. So I think I think it's good. Have y'all seen the movie Patterson yet? It's Jim Jarmusch's new No, film. it's playing at Nickelodeon. It's playing right? at yeah. Nickelodeon. My husband and I went the other night. It's very quiet and I mean you know I mean Dead Man had what like five words in mm -hmm. it in the first place great soundtrack right, yeah. you know but oh, was that the uh, William Blake um, was Dead Man the um, western Johnny Depp yeah, western Johnny Depp, his name was William Blake, Blake. Yeah, I think it was, it was. Off the, yeah 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 exactly that was crazy movie. so in this movie Adam Driver is the main character, and there's um, I can't. Um, Solo song. Yeah, yeah. I just Way know him from Girls it. on HBO. So oh, Adam, I love Adam Driver. <laughs> so he's a poet, and he's a bus driver, right? So he's driving a bus. That's a kind of zen moment. You know, like you're paying attention to certain things, but he's paying attention to the human experience that's happening on his bus and then his walk to work every day, and he's taking this all in and he's writing poetry. And that sh that movie is really about the noticing the little things, right? Um, that's where we all live, and I think sometimes modern life can make you think you're supposed to reach for mm. the yacht, right. the Europe, the whatever, right? Well, the little other, things well, is where we live. Other people's Facebook feeds tell us that our lives are horrible. Yeah, and stupid. <laughs> That's exactly and right. They're living the dream. Yeah, yeah. I think we need to commit to each other. We're going to just do nothing but post about the little experience. Yeah. I tied my yeah. shoe today, yeah. and there was gum on it. <laughs> and, yeah. and everything worked out. <laughs> yeah, and everything worked out. So, yeah, but so that, I think that film takes that moment of that slow down to think notice what's around you and i think that's what the arts can do yeah. so well and i think that movie did that so well have you ever seen know? that movie where um uh ben stiller and his wife are their age and then they meet adam driver and his girlfriend mm -hmm. and I they're like that. you know cool hipsters and they're making we everything and they're and ben stiller like gets fascinated with yeah their mm -hmm. life versus his life and 
they go down this spiral of awfulness and yeah. man it is such a good movie i didn't describe it well <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. What's it called? Well, yeah, I, I can't I remember what no it's called. You're about. But it is that idea oh. of what's it called? It's a Noah Baumbach movie, but you're Silent Micah. Don't talk. It's a Noah. It's Noah Baumbach, but uh, oh, I don't. Don't know reprimand yeah. Silent Micah. <laughs> it's we are something. We are something. We are. Oh, this is awful. It might I'm be. Sorry, it might I feel be something awful like for that. not knowing it. Do you guys know that movie Jaws? There's <laughs> 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 a shark. Okay, let me be. Let me be. Um, let me be Mr. Interviewer Man for a second. Okay. Let me uh, switch to uh, a couple pragmatic things. Let's talk about some things that are going on at the museum. Okay. You have a uh, event that has live music that happens that is a huge event that brings mm-hmm. in significant draw. What, what is that? It's called Arts and Drafts. Arts and Drafts. And it happens when? It happens once a quarter. And it happens in the evening, and it's a big partnership program with a local bar here called The Wig. And they always get a craft brewery to come. We always have four bands. We have DJs, and we have all the art and lots of arts activities. They're being hosted by a lot of community partners, whether it could be a partner that's a literature group, or you work with USC's ink and paper printmaking group, and they you can make your own print, and you can do all that stuff. And this one, I think we're on, like, Arts and Drafts number 30. Holy cow. We've been doing it for eight years. It brings in a big crowd. It brings in a big crowd. We just did one in February, and there were 1,600 people at Holy it. crap. So oh that's not for wow. the people who wants the contemplative yeah, art yeah, night, yeah, because yeah. you're going to hear a punk rock band bleeding through the glass doors into the gallery. So oh, if you oh, want that like energy. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. yeah, right. Yeah. Just like heaven. And that was a program that we started, I think it was... Like 2010, maybe 2009, that we started it with the idea of hoping that we could meet younger adult audiences where they are. Yeah. So this is the beginning of it was accessibility, and it was the connection. And so the price was low. Um, The your partner was key to this because they were popular and they were some of the earlier purveyors of making sure it was crafty. Because they got your there. board drunk and they decided to do it had, this. It had nothing to do with our board. This was 100% the staff driven. Um, so, we, um, so we worked, but we knew we needed community partners to do it. And we had the right relationships with the right people that we've been building over time in order to do that. And this, part, this partner, um, Phil Blair of The Wig, uh, which is a Main Street bar, again, Main Street, is one of the most important community partners. He is, he has, they call it the, you know, America's best dive bar. They are in a basement, you know, very small, but the, what they do is they interface with Indie Grits, they interface with us, they interface with a number of really important community events and make it happen because they bring in these craft breweries, they care about it, and Phil works with us on the music as well. So music that was important to the audience, beer that was important to the audience, um, location that was important to the audience, price point that was important to the audience. Um, And we thought when we started it that we were just going to have, we were like, please, please, let's have 200 people come. Mm -hmm. And the first one we did, and we did these monthly at first, we did four in a row, that was our pilot. It was 500 people, then it was 700 people, then it was 800 people, then it was 1,100. We were like, what? Oh my God, we can't believe this. And now it averages about 1,600 people. And that's seven years in. And we mix it up enough, and I think it still has life because of the 
opportunities for us to work with a lot of people within the community. It's not just about the museum. Yeah. You know, it's really about what a lot of people could care about or be interested in and what could be brought to the but table. it demonstrates that the museum is part of the cultural fabric of the downtown, exactly. not something up on a hill, not a building up on a hill. No, it's not a building up on the hill. And But it also shows that we had to think, what did that audience want? And yeah. we worked with the people who are that audience to understand what yeah. that was yeah. going to be. And um, so we're really proud of it. I think it's something that the community really enjoys. There's always new people. There's people who have been there forever. You know, we were talking about this program. There are people who were super present at the beginning of that that were you know 24 years old and now they're 31 and they just got married and they had their first kid because we've been doing it for so long and you have to recognize as we've talked in the work we've done together you have to recognize life phases you know and so i've been in my 60s i thought (laughs) so let me say this i want to be there for that and i and i have a 13 year old and 10 year old Mm -hmm. um i also you know uh Drake does uh, stuff with band. Rosie does stuff with dance. Drake does stuff with basketball, whatever. But let's say they weren't doing band and dance, and 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 Drake was just doing basketball. I would I would be very eager to find a way that he would do something during the summer. Right. That that I mean I'm I'm a big basketball fan, uh, but it wasn't basketball. It was something also to add to it. So so switching gears again. What do you guys offer? We offer 27 different summer camps in a summer period. Holy cow. And we do it for four-year-olds through your teen workshops. And we've got it segmented by age, so that's appropriate for the skill level and them wanting to be together, right? My 12-year-old does not want to hang out with a six-year-old. Right. He's going to be pissed if <laughs> yeah, I put right. the, him in there, right? Yeah. So, um, And we try to look at topics that would interest them. Um, and that parents feel good about. And so we do 27 different ones. We have teen workshops that do things like woodworking. And they build a chair. So you go to the highest level. (laughs) (laughs) So you build a chair. You get to do these amazing things. You get to experience the art. Hold on on a second. Now, building a chair is not art. Have you ever cut them loose in the gallery with paint guns is what I'm curious. No. <laughs> All right, just throwing that out there. That was a we wouldn't even. I, <laughs> you know what? I, you know what? I'm a boundary pusher in my organization, and that one even I will ask <laughs> if we can do that. I did ask our chief curator to ride a bike through the galleries once. Oh wow, no way! And he There's didn't. He didn't do it. Oh, he didn't do it. No, I think we were just getting to know each other. With paint and I think, on the tire? Yeah, or? <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. You know, I was thinking of the L.A. story moment. I don't know. Oh, if nice. you, pro- you know, roller yeah. skates through L.A. Oh, County. Wow. Yeah. He just didn't find it funny. Huh. But he finds plenty of stuff funny. He just didn't do it. Right. He finds stuff funny that's not funny. And that was for a video for Arts and Drafts I wanted to do because we worked with Fat Tire Beer, and they gave us one of the Fat Tire bikes to give away that night. And I thought, well, let's I've have it run through. Okay. Did you, yeah, yeah. did you come and did you win it? Uh, my wife won it. My wife won it at Millstone, the place where we normally podcast. Where we normally podcast. She she bought one beer, uh-huh. and each beer came with a ticket during a certain time, uh-huh. and she left. And everybody there bought like drank like fourteen beers, she won. and she went home. And her one ticket won that fat tired bike, awesome. and we have it in our office. Yeah. It's an See? awesome bike. Yeah, that so was cool. something we gave away at Arts and Drafts. Oh, that's incredible. And I wanted yeah. Will to ride the bike through the galleries. You should still do that. I'm going to mm-hmm. ask him, and we're still working on fireside <laughs> chats with Will. Oh, so, yeah, that would be amazing. This guy, Will, is amazing. <laughs> he really is, yeah. Yeah. He's got, he's got, like, the quality uh, that you would expect from kind of a, a museum guy, but he's 
full of like energy and knowledge and information. God's fascinating. With a little dose of quirk in there. With the quirk, yeah, lots <laughs> of quirk. That's why we want fireside chats with Will. Oh, that's awesome. We gotta get there. So, but we were talking about things going on in the museum and I'm t- and talking about Will. We're gonna re, we are starting a renovation program. So we're gonna so be on, bigger, talk, better, talking, bolder, man. You're talking to a big renovation. Well, yeah, so we're not building a building. We were lucky we built the um, building with expansion space inside of it within the footprint. Beautiful. So, Mm -hmm. well, thank you. And, you know, we had some of our first sessions together, Jason, in the expansion space, the big black room, the cavernous rooms, right? I don't know if that's inappropriate, but your building is beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) We will take it. It's all building, I can tell just by looking at it. (laughs) Exactly. So, So we are expanding galleries because our collection has grown. And what's really cool is it's that modern contemporary collection that's grown. And that's what people really get jazzed about right now. So we need more space for that. We're going to build a third studio, more summer camps, more classes for adults to learn how to paint or whatever Mm -hmm. it's going to be. So you have painting classes? We have painting classes, drawing classes, printmaking. we got a printmaking class coming up because of the Dolly show. And you have small events where there might be 10 people there, an event might be 100 people there, and then there's 1,600 people. We have very few that have 10. Okay, small events okay. are more like 30 and 40. Oh, wow. Damn, you know, um, awesome. we have a shop that sells catalogs, and Columbia buys an exhibition that has a catalog. We can sell 400 catalog, art catalogs. Wow. So, again, Columbia is and more of. It's on Main Street. It's, it's on like Main Street. And, and it is a Main Street <laughs> shop, yeah. you know? So, we're expanding the shop, actually. Oh, that's cool. We are expanding the studio space. We're expanding event and programming space. We are going to have a new interactive space where people paint of any gun. age can maybe do paint guns <laughs> um, and I'll, other I'll, things. Real close. Yeah, we're still working on it. So, you Point submit your idea paint. about <laughs> paint guns. And then. Um, I hate this Picasso. <laughs> Jason, we don't have a Picasso. I wish we did. Um, so then the, uh, but we're going to expand the gallery. So we're really just starting this process. So we're taking down the whole collection. So what is owned by the museum the in this collection. collection? The collection that is ours as opposed to exhibitions. Right. We'll have exhibitions going the that's whole time. That's where the Naked Man runs through. The, that's where the Naked Man runs right. through. Oh, no, so an exhibition is where a traveling show comes in, like the Dali mm-hmm. or the Jeter uh, exhibition. Right. The collection is part of the permanent collection, which some of it would be stored, mm-hmm. and then um, most of it would be on display, hopefully, or some of it would be on display. And where you guys excel, I've learned, is that um, I know y'all were given a priceless, priceless collection of ancient Asian art yep. because for the very reason that if they would have given it to the Met, or, or not Met, maybe not the best example, given it to some New York museum, it would have been in the basement yeah. and never been shown. Maybe like three years from now, they might have like a three-week right. performance. But y'all were able to display it as a premiere you know, that's a really amazing story. Well, I think about this is a good time to bring up that I knocked over some plates. You did? <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's a joke. I'm really sorry. <laughs> We're going to go back there right yeah, now. Right. I have my art museum handcuffs yeah. in my back, and we're right. going to take you. I actually so. ate on that plate. Is, is there a dishwasher anywhere around? <laughs> Hand-washing only, people. Watch this? So, so, but the point, that is a story about philanthropy where it can make a game, it can be a game changer, right? So... We all love museums like the National Gallery and the Met and the Chicago Art Institute. They're beautiful, they're comprehensive, they're encyclopedic. Any of us would want any of those collections. But they have a lot. And they have a lot of people who have given to them over the years and they've collected and bought over the years themselves. An organization like ours 
is dependent upon people who care about the organization see that their collection that they will give to us and we're not buying it we have very little dollars to buy anything can make a game so small uh, well you know if we can make that happen are they did someone shrink down these dollars we are worried about dollars that help make the staff do things the art dollars i don't know um but so this gentleman, Dr. Turner, was from South Carolina, but he spent his whole career in Philadelphia. Philadelphia Museum of Art, astounding. Astounding Asian collection. But they have a lot. And he thought, I can have an impact by giving it to Columbia Museum of Art, who will take care of it well, who will show it. Affect more people. Affect more people. More like a premier thing in the museum. Absolutely. And before that, we have very little. So he gives us... 5,000 year old tomb items Man, you gotta see from this China and he gives They're us ascetic monk figures that change that story that goes along where you can take your Renaissance piece, your Catholic tradition from Italy in the 15th century and you can take your ascetic monk monk and have a different conversation about spirituality Dude, that we couldn't through, have had before. You walk through uh, uh, this area and you see a painting from like 1300 and you think that's old? And then you turn the corner, and there's something from like 4,000 BC. <laughs> You're like, oh, wow. Are they haunted? Have you caught any ghosts on camera? We had ghosts in our old building. Really? Yeah. I yeah. knew it. I knew it. We did. We, really we don't. Did? I really I haven't it. found ghosts in this. Oh, okay, building. that's an, we it didn't talk a about another. Macy's department store. I don't there's know. There's always ghosts in the Macy's. Department. We'll do the Macy's department ghost podcast. <laughs> okay, very good. <laughs> but um, so anyway, we're so we're you know, angels like that in a community, like we were talking about at the beginning of this, Southern museums, you know, they didn't have the comprehensive collections where you had robber barons like the Vanderbilts giving you collections. So, you know, somebody like Dr. Turner is a game changer for us. And we've been lucky since we built this building in 1998 to have a good number of angels come along and say, we want to share our collections with you. And so we need to expand the galleries in order to do that, and which is a great story. And that's for our community. You know, I, you know I, I, as much as I, I love uh, Western civilization and I love the history around, I love ancient Greece and Rome and I love the Renaissance. That's my favorite time period, Italian Renaissance. And to see the, uh, the uh, not Giotto, but y'all have a, uh, Botticelli. Botticelli. To see the Botticelli that you have, it, it's, it's moving to me just because Botticelli's name is on the card, only because I'm one of those people that happen to know that information when I went in, um, and not, let alone that the painting itself is moving. But but to, to like, I mean, that's kind of been the thing I've been interested in. But to turn the corner and and to discover something that's, you know, thousands of years older than this that I was just fascinated by the age of it, it I mean I, it's hard to describe that feeling I mean to see these pieces you're like were, the fact that people were still focused on the beauty of the human form and the horse or you know, exactly. you know like the, the the same kinds of things it's it's um it's humbling but empowering in a way, you know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I think. Keep you should going. Bit, but no, Keep I, going. I just that 
I, I completely know what you're talking about. And when you look at, when you see the similarities and things that are so old, it is. It's very comforting and empowering. I agree. That's all. Sorry. I Can you, you guys have given me a segue into something that's going to happen post-renovation. So right now, our fireside chat chief curator, Will South, concocted this crazy bold plan that when we reinstall the collection, we're not doing it through history or th in that way. So what I call the march through art history with gaps because we are not the Met, right. so right? Exactly. So we are missing the Picasso and we are missing, you know, the Michelangelo or whatever, right? But you have a Monet, I just want we to We have a Monet and we have a Botticelli and we have a plenty of other good stuff, but it's got holes and we're exactly the right size. We're not the kind of place that it takes four days to really like explore us like yeah. the Louvre which oh you could do for a month yeah, I mean right. come on yeah. right um, I and was running to find the exit <laughs> I was like if we run we can get out of here faster exactly <laughs> so with us we're a mid-sized museum with some great stuff but what we're going to do when we reinstall this in about 18 months we're going to do it thematically and what our approach is is that we really want to take that moment when you come in and you talk about heroes and legends and you see an image of George Washington throughout time you can do all time in the same space in the same space so you have no George way. Washington across from Martin Luther King no way wow and what you what it does is that what we know is that all of us are making connections all the time oh and you just did it naturally both of you guys by going this Renaissance piece, but this Asian piece. Yeah. So we're going to have an art and spirituality gallery. And you will have a Renaissance piece, and you will have the ascetic monk. I love, monk it. I love it. So we're, and this is the relevancy discussion. This is the discussion piece. This is the conversation piece. Our goal is to get people to want to come back because they had to slow down. They walk into a space, and instead of going through what I call, like, down Nebraska, and like, okay, I'm just going to go through all this ancient work yeah, to right. get to what I want to see, mm -hmm. you're going to, like, stop. You're a little jarred, and you go, why is Martin Luther King in there with George Washington and in there with the legend of St. George and the dragon? Why are we talking about these I kinds of things? You, I got to tell you about something that I invented and um, wanted to build, but... Um, was convinced by the people who love me that I was uh, crazy and should never try to do this. And they were right. But um, it was that I would walk into, that there'd be a big sphere. And I would walk into the middle of it. And I would imagine it being wooden, because I imagined it being a long time ago. But you would be able to, like, kind of turn cranks and stuff, and it would, it would move, there'd be layers going out, spherically going out from you. And that you would be able to or, and they were all they were history so each sphere was history and so you had like the pieces you can imagine in your museum that, that would be like uh, oh this is you know about a uh, relationship with animals like horse and this is the human form and this is about hero heroics and you know and so each sphere sphere had all those things of that same timeline but you get inside the center and you would crank it around and you would line up through history the um based on a theme so like you'd be like okay so the hero the concept of the hero and you would see our modern day hero closest to you and then you'd see the 1950s hero and then you'd see the you know 1900s hero all the way back to the ancient greek hero and even 
beyond. But you would see it in a straight line and how all those things were thematically connected. And, and so it would move in an interactive way. So what you're talking, I know it's crazy, I know, and, and no, they were smart like, to Are you going to develop an interactive gallery for us? Totally. <laughs> uh, well, until three, well, until um, VR technologies you, existed, that sphere. Mm -hmm. until VR technologies existed, which they now do, I, I couldn't build this digitally. I was going to have to do it physically. So now I can actually create right. this. But, uh, but I think it's beautiful, a beautiful idea, and I give credit to, to Will, to think about it in that way. Because as impressed as I was when I walked into that ancient Asian mm -hmm. collection, it's all ancient Asian things. Right. And each of them is equally impressive, and I really don't know which one to look at. It starts to be a wash. And it starts to be a wash, and I just get numb to the Nebraska experience. Highway. And then I leave. Yep. Instead, if I was in a room that was about humans and animals working together for productivity, mm -hmm. and it was all about horses and war, it, there's like exactly. things about war, and, I, and, and I'm looking at the 1900s and the 1800s and 5,000 years ago, exactly. and I'm on a theme, I think it would be exactly. way more compelling. And do you think that will slow you down? Oh, yeah. And yeah. do you think you'll be like, oh, I got to go back because I only saw three galleries? Exactly. My exactly. God, I yeah. spent, and that's our goal. Yeah. Our goal is to make people, have, or give people the opportunity to feel connected to the, to each space. And so what it ends up being, and people do that in exhibitions, right? So mm -hmm. you've got a theme. Dolly, fantastical fairy tales, right? You've got Tyrone Jeter's work, whatever. But people, people slow down it, in though. there. <laughs> to a certain extent. I would say that the the people, like the the dumber folks like myself, don't know. Like the the theme is kind of lost because I see Dali and then I see that there's a sub thematic thing. I don't know. I'm just there to see Dali's stuff and and I don't necessarily understand the thematic connections. I'm just like Dali, Dali, and I walk Dali, Dali, and then after like number six, I'm kind of like, all right, I've seen Dali, mm -hmm. and so I don't know now. Should I go to a different room? Like I don't right, know right. where what to do. And what we're going to do is have small, big conversations in a small space. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, one of the galleries I'm most excited about is spirituality. So you put a book of hours from the 13th century in there, which is supposed to be. You know, a it's a beautiful art book that allows you to meditate upon your spirituality, right? And you put it in the same room as with the ascetic monk who's meditating mm -hmm. and thinking about wow. life and the universe and all of that, right? So you start to have these connections in a small space. And you start to also... Maybe Boy, that I grew would be up. An important lesson for this country right now. Absolutely, mm -hmm. it's important right now. I think it, I think we hatched this before before um <laughs> but right now i think it's important more important oh, than ever very important so it felt like the right moment to do it oh just as God. the jeter was the right moment to and do it even though we planned it two years if ago, i can make you know? a, a you ignore this but i'm gonna make a recommendation and you, you should ignore the, everything i'm about to say okay. um okay. ignore maybe i think, I think <laughs> a, ta says a tap into the vein is that freedom of religion is at the core of everything that, that this country is and has always been. Yep. The most the most conservative, the most liberal would uh, would say that freedom of religion is one of the top three core principles right. that this country is about. The the fear of the other is a natural human experience. Right. And so reconciling freedom of religion with the fear of the other 
is an important conversation. And we can do that through the arts in the spirituality gallery. So I'm not throwing out what you say because you were right. Right. <laughs> That's why you do it. Because we go into that space with one particular perspective. You hope you can go, oh, now I get it. That's not any different. That idea of meditating the, the meaning of the universe and the meaning of whatever the higher spirit is is not that different. It's just expressed differently. Can it's just, got a visual form that's different or what have you. Can I just point out that we got to this subject and I didn't take us there in the history of our podcast? <laughs> that is so crazy. Like, I've, I've stopped myself from going here because I got self-conscious about it. You know what? That's true power is making other people say what you want them to say. You are a mind bender. <laughs> so this is why you can come visit me when you come to Indy Grits, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, because right, we can have these conversations. Yeah, totally. So I want to say this. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on this podcast. Thank you. Joelle, you're a, you're a rock star in your own time. A legend in our minds. <laughs> and um, the Columbia Museum of Art is a true treasure to the state of South Carolina. And I, I, I am so guilty of just being non-participatory or have my head in the sand to not notice. I, I'm the, you know, we were talking earlier, the people who say Rock Hill is lame are all 50 and older. It's because they grew up being taught that and right, they haven't right. recognized, and they're like, we're trying to change Rock Hill, but Rock Hill sure is lame. I'm like, <laughs> no, it's not. Nobody younger than you thinks that. Right. And, and I was guilty, even though I'm the one preaching this same stuff, I was guilty of thinking that South Carolina couldn't have a world-class museum. But Karen Brocious, is that how you say her name? Yes. Um, it, who was your, uh, no, I'm good, thank you. Who was your previous um, di executive director at right. the Columbia Museum of Art has said, when we were working with you guys, said over and over and over again, a wor there is no world-class city that does not have a world-class museum. There is no example, period. And it's not that world-class cities, people interpret that the wrong way sometimes, I think. It's not that world-class cities have the money to uh, be extravagant. It's that when you invest in quality, right. you get quality. Right. Yeah. And you reap the benefits from that. And you reap the benefits from that. So is there anything, is, it can be a couple things, is there anything you'd be remiss that we didn't mention on this podcast and beha on behalf of the museum. Look, we're going through renovations. We have exhibitions the whole time. Still visit us, even if there's maybe like the hammer that we're experiencing here, right? <laughs> maybe, Chris. Uh, Chris. maybe Chris. Maybe Chris and his my, stomach. Sorry, I wore my you hammer You might hear pants. it in the museum because he's hanging out with us all the time. <laughs> so we are active the whole time. Got plenty going on, but we're going to be bigger, better, and bolder, and we're gonna. it's going to be great. So please check us out and look at our website and see what's going on. I'm telling you. So let's say I want to give to the museum. Mm -hmm. How do I do that? How do you give to the museum? We can look on the website in the give section. Um, and then you can also come and experience us and get to know us. And I'm going to tell you, we have an amazing staff at the museum. I mean, I'm sitting here talking about all the things we're doing, but I couldn't do any of it without how amazing that staff is. And some of those people who are willing to talk to you about your art collection, your money, even your $5 you want to give to support us, then 
we're there to help you from the front desk all the way through the rest of the staff. Well, I've never had anything but an amazing experience at the Columbia Museum of Art. So, Joel Ryan Cook, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, Chris, you look handsome. Thank you. You also look handsome. Uh, Micah, if you want to take us out with some uh, some wisdom, kind of sum it all up. Silent Micah. Oh, wow. Woo! That was good. All right, well, I guess we'll see you next week on Old Town New World. <laughs>